Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in the Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. Hello, and welcome everybody to another episode of Stricken Roll. I'm your host, Shwinipu, and this is episode 31. I am joined by friend of the pod, host of, or co-host, I should say, of The Run.Down. You know him as at FrankBarrett119 on Twitter. His name is Jeffrey Rasmussen. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing good. It's always good for the Knicks to get a win, you know? Just excited to talk about it. Yes, it is nice for when the Knicks win basketball games. Uh, much better than when they lose. So I am excited to discuss that. Before we get started, I do have to make an announcement. Strickland has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. But before we talk about the Patreon, it's worth mentioning that the Strickland has an Instagram. So please subscribe to that. It is at the strict.land on Instagram. We are posting all kinds of new content on there, so please give us a follow. We also have a YouTube channel where you may or may not be watching this podcast. If you are watching this podcast on there and you haven't already, please hit like and then hit subscribe to help us get to 1,000 followers on there. That would be a great big help. And as mentioned earlier, we do have a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of tiers. There's a six-star tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to... The Strickland Mailbag that comes out every other week, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, along with Dallas Amico. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to this pod right here, Strickland Roll, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful weekly premium articles by... Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come through a variety of additional benefits like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not. None of this would be possible without you. So um, let's get started. The Knicks uh, snapped a four-game losing streak. They beat the Cavs 105-103 in what was a pretty interesting game it kind of went back and forth a few times um but the Knicks came out on top and uh they needed that win it was a huge win for them and uh we'll see if they can use that as a springboard they've been a very streaky team all year you know eight game winning streak five game losing streak four game winning streak four they just keep going back and forth so um maybe hopefully they can string together a little bit more consistency though this stretch right now um isn't one that necessarily lends itself to that but um, they proved that they could beat a top team yesterday at full health. Uh, so I think that was big. That was probably big for them, especially considering they didn't have Mitchell Robinson. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just curious, like what I know we talked about this last night in the rundown, but um, you know, you had a night to kind of sleep on it, think about it. Did you take anything from this game that would lead you to believe that that you know? 
this is this can be the platform for a bit more consistency down the second the down the stretch of the season, or do you think they will continue to be you know what they are, which is an around five hundred team that is goes on winning streak, goes on losing streaks, and uh, roughly around, ends up around you know forty to forty three wins or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Knicks are really the Knicks under Tibbs are really interesting um like test case in how the mind and how results create a bias because especially on defense when things are going bad it just seems like they'll never go good again because it's like oh they're giving up all these threes and like this is modern offense they're just going to keep getting crushed by them but then you know like it happened after the Dallas game the Knicks just like locked in for 10 games and weren't giving up bad threes and we're only giving up through the kind of threes they wanted to give up. And so I saw uh, somebody said on Twitter last night that, you know, like, Oh, the difference in this game was that the Knicks shot 51% from three and 36 and the Cavs shot 36% from three. But I really thought the Knicks defended the three. Well, like I don't remember too many threes that the Knicks gave up that I was like, Oh man, that's, that's tough. And I th- yesterday you're talking about specifically? Yeah, in the Cavs game yesterday. And yeah. They, they, it was, it was just, they did a couple of really stupid things where they like closed out super hard to Okoro instead of just being like, that was, that's definitely yeah. the one, the, the one yeah. where Okoro was in the left corner. Um, but they, they had a couple of those. They had one in the first half too, where Grimes close to him. And that gave up an open swing to Garland who hit a three, but it was like, you know, look, it, it, it happens. Yeah. Um, but like Grimes missed two wide open threes too, you know? So I'm just saying that like on the whole, I, I actually thought the Knicks created better looks. I know Randall hit a couple silly ones really early on, but as the game really settled in, I thought the Knicks offense was creating better looks than the Cavs offense was. Um, and so I guess my point is, is that, when you watch a game last night, you watch the Knicks hold the Cavs to 103 points. It really does feel sustainable, and you don't know how much of it is pure shot luck and how much of it, how, how much of Tibbs' whole mindset of if my guys give the effort that I want them to give, this defense is sustainable and it will work. Because I think that if Tibbs can be trusted on one thing in the whole world, it's that he knows how to make a defense work. Um, but when that defense is one that caters to, okay, we're going to give up threes to the right guys and everybody needs to be on a string and everybody's got to be flying around. You just don't know how sustainable it is. But to answer your original question, I don't see anything that the Knicks did last night. That's like, Oh, they can't repeat that. You know? And in fact, I think there's areas that they can clean up if anything. Um, so, I, yeah, I just think this is the team the Knicks are. I think they're a good team, and I think that they're going to miss Mitchell Robinson. Um, but it doesn't surprise me at all that they hung in there with Cleveland, and I think that they'll be able to hang in there with just about any team right now because they have good players and they they play hard. Yeah, uh, I mean, the defensive stuff, it's always weird. Like, I, I personally think that, to me, it's not an issue of is the scheme outdated. I think the scheme, it asks a lot of the players to consistently execute, and that's hard. So on nights where, you know, guys don't have it or they are struggling, whatever it is, 
uh, it can be it can be rough, but um, I don't inherently think the scheme is outdated. I do think there are there's it's too extreme, I would say, in moments, and it's not tailored enough to specific personnel. Like there are so many times where it's like, what is the point of Brunson making sure he has two feet in the paint and giving up an open, easy swing pass to the corner? off a drive and kick like he's not he has no impact at the rim i would much rather he just stay glued to his man in the corner and not even allow that pass the the picture um, of what you're talking about there is the fournier play when he when he helped down when Giannis was posting yeah. up and it's like what is fournier gonna do if he gets by if Giannis gets by his man fournier is not affecting him at the rim so just hug the corner don't give up an open corner three opponents in because he's not doing anything yeah and i think the only like Honestly, the only guard I there's only like the only two guards I really think have any impact at the rim for us defensively are Quick and Grimes. And even Grimes is like, I don't know, like he he he's not really in position to do that a lot, to be honest, because he's usually he's like tasked with guarding their primary, the opposition primary. So he's not really in that position a lot. Quick is quick is very good as a rim protector for a guard, but like even him at times, I'm like, what what is the point here? Um, and, and so like stuff like that, very specific stuff like that annoys me. And then when it goes bad, it can go very bad. Uh, my, one of my biggest pet peeves is like, like I, if your base defense is, we will, we're willing to concede threes at the expense or as long as we're not giving up a ton of paint points, I'm fine with that as your base defense where I take real issue with it is like, so you're up like 15, 16, 17, 18 in these games late in the third quarter. The one way to immediately allow a team back in the game, right, is give up a couple open threes. And I think you can become a little bit more conservative in how you're playing that stuff when you're nursing a big lead. Um, and I would like to see a little bit more of a shift. Like, like as soon as a team hits a couple threes, right, call a timeout, fine. And then maybe make a shift, but too often I feel like he's still just playing the like he he's just always willing to give up the three if one he feels that they're as long as they're making good attempts at closing out, and then two obviously especially um, Robinson is healthy. I don't which is a really fucking good rim protector. Actor, uh, even in a, an elite one so like to me you in situations like that where you have a big lead already shouldn't you be more willing to trust his ability to control the paint instead of selling out to do it as a team um so that's that's like where for me i struggle a little bit with um his logic with with the defensive stuff but like yeah i mean i, I I think the outdated thing is it's kind of like a buzzword it's kind of like you know people you said said that's about like this became a big thing with like Phil when he was the president of basketball operations of the Knicks, right? It was like, oh, the triangle's outdated. The triangle's outdated. Why are the Knicks running the triangle? And I'm like watching half these games, and I'm like, I don't think they're running the triangle, man. Um, yeah, I, I was just saying. I think the the outdated thing is just like, you know, it is what it is. I get why people say it, but um, I you might want. I, I think like if you want to say some of his specific tactical choices on both ends of the floor are outdated, that's probably fair, but. I don't view what we do as like, I, I don't think, 
I, I don't think Tibbs lacks the understanding of modern basketball. I, I think that he just maybe, again, from a tactical perspective, doesn't doesn't really like he, – he's not fully grasped or a, adapted to what, you know, the best, quote-unquote, the best modern teams – the best teams the NBA currently are doing, right? Like you're like, you know, you watch the Celtics play on a given night versus us, um, especially when they're healthy and they have all their guys, like their, their offense is obviously just a totally different thing from what we do. And that goes beyond like, Oh, they have more talent. Like it, it's, it's beyond that. It's the, the actual approach that they're using is so different um, from what the Knicks are doing offensively. And I don't. I think there's like value to some of the simplicity in what Tibbs does offensively. I just think that there has to be more. Um, you, they, not everybody needs to be the Warriors, but you might want to take some of their principles and sprinkle that into what you're doing. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, I don't think I don't even think the Knicks have the personnel to. Besides Hardenstein, they really don't have someone who could run or be a part of a pure motion offense. Um, obviously, you know, if guys as good as uh, Brunson, Randall, quickly, if they got traded to the Warriors, I'm sure they'd figure it out, you know. But, like, organically starting their own pure mo- motion offense, I just – I'm not sure that's in the cards. Um, I do think – that we are seeing a, a bit more um, diversity and movement in the offense the last few games. I think the Wizards game was really rock bottom in terms of just pure stagnance and just nothing really. And uh, I know there's some volatility to the assist numbers, but I mean, just – an example to me is we're not as robotic. We haven't run that Brunson play out of the gate. That was like seemingly a staple of the offense. They're, they're trying to switch it up from that. Um, and I just think on the whole, they're trying to do a bit more. It's not going to just happen overnight, you know, because they don't get enough practices to infuse, you know, night and day differences from a movement perspective. But I do think that at the margin, they have been a little bit better these last few games um, offensively. Yeah. I mean, I, I know we talked about this on the run dot down yesterday, but like, I think, I do think the Mitch piece of this is relevant. Um, like he is not a skilled center. Like that's one point blank. Like he's not a skilled center. Um, you can't, like I'll, 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 as an as a point of comparison, I don't think Jericho Sims is a wildly skilled center either. But Jericho, if so, yesterday you saw this a few times. One, Cleveland's defense is really fucking good. So I know that some of our stretches were absolutely brutal on offense, but like a lot of that had to do with the fact that they're just a really fucking good defense. They're really well drilled. Um, when Mobley, Mobley and Allen lock down the paint, you can't really go inside there and do a lot. So it allows their guards and wings to be really aggressive over the time. And they have Okoro, um, who is perfectly designed to stop our primary perimeter engine. So it's like the Knicks are kind of cut right. off at the so, head. Yeah. And so what I was going to say is like, so even, so Jericho was, he got the ball a few times because the Knicks like to do this thing, right? Where they toss it at the center 
and they'll run a few like Brunson will come, you know, they'll have like RJ come from the corner and then Brunson will come back around and try to get it. Or if that doesn't work, then he has to swing it to Ray. There it's they they run, they use the center to kind of like move those three guys around and try to get them on the, the ball on the move a little bit. Um Cleveland shut that off. The difference between Mitch and Sims there is that Sims is comfortable and able to put the ball on the floor a few times and he's comfortable operating under pressure a little bit and uh, taking his time. Whereas if you see Mitch in those positions, if he doesn't get the rid of the ball within the first one or two reads he has, he like holds the ball up and then you have to like, everybody has to like scramble. You'll have like Brunson has to like go out all the way to half court to get the ball from him. Um, you see this shit all the time. And it's like, this, this is not like the batch, bash Mish pod, but I do think that some of the ball movement issues and quite frankly, the ball movement issues are often exacerbated by the pace they play at. When they play slow, the ball doesn't move that much. Um, or I should say as much. And I do think, you know, as we talked about, that's a factor here. Like Mitch, they seem to play slower when Mitch is on the floor. That's just the reality of the situation. Um, I, I think you had the stats yesterday, but it's like, I think when Mitch is on the floor, I mean, he's the slowest, slowest pace on the team. Yeah. And yeah. So like, I'm just looking at this now um, with Mitch on the floor. Uh, they play at a 97 pace. That's in 894 minutes so far this season uh, with Mitch off the floor. They play at a, let's just see. It's calculating. Mother is still collating. Uh, it's they played a ninety-nine pace, so it's it's slightly faster. I it's obviously not they're not exactly you know zooming up the floor without him either. But there is something to be like I, I don't I know two possessions sounds really minimal, but like you feel that without realizing what that difference is when you're watching these games. Like whatever our issues were yesterday offensively. It was not about the pace at which we were trying to play at. You know, they were trying to get the ball up the floor pretty fast and pretty consistently. We've seen like if you go back to that stretch where we had didn't have Mitch earlier in the season, we got one of that West Coast trip. We were playing faster, like we were moving, like we were getting the ball up the floor faster. Um, and again, this is not like to bash Mitch because I think Mitch has been fucking awesome this year, but I do wonder how much he's part of the underlying issue of like the lack of ball movement, player movement, pace of play that we've experienced at points this season. Yeah. It's definitely something worth noting. Um, I do think that not like a full counter to this, but just like something to throw in the Knicks score the most points per possession when Mitch is on the court compared to any other player. Now, obviously he's sharing the largest percentage of his minutes with Brunson and Randall because, you know, he starts the first and third and then he's the first one off the court. So 100% of his first shift comes with the Knicks two, arguably maybe three best offensive players. Um, but, you know, there's also the counterpoint to that, which is they also come against the opposing team starter. So whatever. The point is, is that it's how you, how would you compare what he brings as an offensive rebounder and his vertical gravity around the rim compared to the lack of pace and just, as you alluded to, his lack of skill at the top of the key. Um, and I think this bring this. So I would, I would throw this out there. Um, I, I, I definitely take 
the point that um, we score the best when he's on the floor, right? I, I don't think that's – and a, lar- a large part of that, I think has to be said, is because he's a dominant mm-hmm. offensive rebounder. Uh, he is arguably the best offensive rebounder in the league. It's him or Steven Adams. Like, I don't think there's a there's, – there's nobody else really in that conversation to me. Maybe Zion, but Zion is – like that. that's its own – it's a separate thing. It's not the same thing as Mitch and Steven Adams, right? Like – Zion's one of the, he's, you know, bullying his way to the rim. He misses a shot, gets his rebound. Like it's not, it's not the same type of thing as Mitch and Steven Adams. Um, But like, I do think while that is effective in terms of the raw efficacy of it and how that buoys the offense, I do think there are diminishing returns to that in specific game situations. Um and I think we see that. I think part of the reason our fourth quarter offense often bogs down, again, this is not on him entirely. Some of this is about a stylistic choice, as we've talked about, right? Like we've talked about how Tibbs goes to this. So heavy yesterday was an example of that. I thought he let them play yesterday. Um, but, but like, I think. If you're going to that ISO heavy stuff, the fact that Mitch is kind of just going to hover around the rim, uh, it it really makes it like for a guy like Brunson, especially right, who's a super effective driver and a really good finisher at the rim. At the end of games, he can't get there all the time because Mitch's dude, like Mitch's guy, is like right there, right? He can't get all the way to the rim, and I and and I think this is why like we've seen uh, we've seen. Tibbs go five out or however you want to call it, you know, small, whatever, a few times. And while there are definitely defensive and rebounding limitations to it, one thing that stood out to me is like Brunson in those lineups is basically unstoppable. Like you can't, you can't stop him from getting to where he wants to go. And so it's, it's not easy. Like this is not like an easy conversation or even a straightforward one. And it's not even one that necessarily Maybe there are situations where Mitch shouldn't close the game, but there are definitely situations where he should. And I, I think like if if Tibbs was more willing to approach it like that, I would I think we we would all feel very differently about him because to me, the only guys that should definitely close every game are probably like Randall, Brunson, and maybe Quick. And even that, like I think even quick, I think is, you know, there are matchups where Grimes and RJ will be better and there'll be matchups where you'd rather have quickly on the floor than RJ or quickly on the floor rather than Grimes. But like, I, I think Mitch, as good as he is, and, you know, I, I posted this today, I think what him and quickly have managed to do, like basically if those guys are not on the floor with with any of our big three, they, they suck. Like they're just a terrible lineup. So it's this is not to diminish the Mitch at all. It's just like, I think viewing him as a starter who in specific game situations at the end, maybe you don't need to play him all the time. And I think viewing him like that would be one, it would actually be really refreshing of Tibbs and give me a way more faith in what he can and can't do as a head coach. But like two, I just think it would benefit us on the floor in the service, you know, in the service of winning ball games. Yeah. Um, I would argue as far as the end game thing goes, I'm not sure we should have like a single sacred cow. I mean, I don't think Brunson should have closed yesterday. I, I know that. I, yeah, he, I don't think he was it's not crazy to say that quickly, Grime, because 
RJ did bring, like we saw it at the end of the game, RJ, RJ's size did matter on defensively. And, and I thought he, I thought he actually had a pretty fine yeah. defensive game yesterday. Like, I, I mean, Garland's a tough, that's just yeah. a bad matchup for him, but I thought he competed and like, like there's a difference between, Oh, he got burned because this is a bad matchup and shit where you're watching him and you're like, why are you getting burned by like, there the was a, there was right a possession like, in the Raptors <laughs> game where he was guarding Van Vliet and he slid with Van Vliet and Van Vliet just gave him a little nudge and he just went flying out of the way. And it's like, dude, Fred Van Vliet cannot push you off your spot that easily. Like it's the word you use, it's compete. And he competed last night and yeah. it was really encouraging to see how into the last stop he was. Like it wasn't a bucket. It wasn't, you know, RJ focusing on his scoring, it was like him digging in and like wanting to get that one stop. And like, that's what we need from him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have hated the Knicks closing with quickly Grimes, RJ Randall, and I guess Hardenstein. Um, I know Hardenstein was a good last night, but that's just a different issue. Um, I do want to get back to the thing you said about Mitch versus Sims, because I think it's touching upon a bigger conversation, which is that, I think basically what you're saying there is that for Hardenstein or Sims to be effective as a backup to Mitch, they need to be the best version of themselves. They need to embrace what they do better than Mitch. Like they can't just this whole idea that like, okay, you're playing Mitch's spot right now. So we need you to be Mitch light is very misguided, but it's also like what Tibbs is most comfortable with. And and I will say this one thing I've actually liked that he does with Sims and it's weird because it's kind of counterintuitive is he'll have Sims go hang out in the corner on an offensive possession. But what it does is if somebody drives Sims is actually a fucking yep. really good gutter. Uh, he's a really good gutter. So you ignore him, right? Cause you're like this guy, what, what is he doing out there? He's <laughs> literally even a threat. And so teams will fall. Yeah. And so teams will fall asleep on him. And then, like he said, he has this. He's a pretty good ESP on this, especially with like Grimes, um, where as soon as his man goes to help on, like let's say Grimes puts the ball on the floor and is driving, Sims is on the move. And as if you if he catches the ball on the move, that's it. Like he, he's finishing that. He's finishing it because he's absolutely nuclear. As soon as like you can stop him when he, ha- when he catches the ball at a standstill and he has to elevate immediately, but when he catches the ball on the move and he's going to the rim, like with force he's it's over dude like you're and then not he that. also matches that with the you know you see sometimes like a guy will drive like brunson will drive and he'll just kick it out to the corner because it's natural and sims will catch it alone in the corner and then brunson will be like god damn it like you know and sims has <laughs> sims has matched his cuts with an ability to add value there because he just dribbles it into a handoff and his defender is so far off of him that when Sims dribbles into a handoff and he screens for the guy, whoever he hands it off to his defender, that guy gets to just walk into an open pull-up three. And so those things have value. Um, And those are things that Mitch doesn't do, to your point. And where I'm going with this is that there is a more extreme version of that and a way of looking at basketball, which is, if you just played Obi with Randall, which I know we don't, we don't have to get all into this, but my, my point is, is that if you just played Obi with Randall, 
you don't have to look at it as, okay, well, what isn't Obi doing that Mitch does? You have to look at it as how can we, how can we win these minutes to a similar degree in a different manner? Because there is a path there because Obi and the spacing he brings and the pace he brings, it's almost like when people talk about when Tibbs talks about it, he would rather have like a plus four net rating with a lower defensive rating than a plus five net rating. Do you get what I'm saying? Like he, he wants to win a specific style and he wants it to look an exact way. And sometimes it feels like he doesn't understand that there's a way to win. That's a different way. And well, it's, it, this is like, this is like a, like Andy Reed, who is, you know, one of the great coaches in the NFL, people forget, like when he was in Philadelphia, one of the beefs that people had with him forever was like, okay, you're this great play caller, play designer. Your offense is fantastic. But like you have Deuce Staley and there are games where you're giving him like 12 carries. Like, and like you're throwing the ball 50 times. Like that doesn't make any sense. And it's like, I I think he, he still has this issue a bit, but I think he's obviously gotten better at like, Balancing pass and run, and, and all that kind of shit. Patrick Mahomes, um, so like, it's okay if you, it's right, okay yes, if you don't <laughs> right? But like, he's definitely better at that now. But it's like that's that's what you're talking about is it's and this is like this. So this is not just like just tips, yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, I, I've mentioned this before. Like Steve Kerr is actually similarly like married to what he wants yeah. his team to do because. There are situations where I'm watching that. I'm just, like, just run a step. Like, just run I a step. Back you want to like, <laughs> yeah, like I get that you want to get everybody involved, but there's like three minutes left in this ball game and you guys are currently sitting in a play in spot. Maybe you need to start valuing, like just getting across the line in some of these games over what your u- ideal utopia is. So like, this is not a tip specific thing. This is all, this is the vast majority of coaches, right? Because coaching at the end of the day is a philosophical thing. Like every coach has, their core beliefs, which are inherent in how they're coaching their team and what they want to achieve. So like, like with Tibbs, it's obviously there are things he values and he values, especially at that center position. He thinks that guy, one vertical rim running threat two, be an elite rim protector. Right. And then three, be a great offensive rebounding threat. Those are the three things he values and wants the most from his fives. And it's why, like, he struggles. And I know Benji did, like, a he had a good video yesterday about how the Knicks did run some different actions defensively against Toronto. What I would say is that ultimately all of those veer in the the direction of not pressuring the ball handler, um, not overloading the ball, not crowding the ball, not not creating pressure there. Um, They're all – it's drop. It's – a switch. It is showing higher at the level, but not really blitzing the ball handler. Like, yeah, like, like, so, so to me, um, he, he's always going to be a bit more conservative defensively um, in the sense of like, he's not willing to risk. He's not willing to roll the dice to get a turnover um, or to force a turnover if the risk, because the risk of that is giving up an open shot in the weak side or hitting the roll man, whatever it is, that's just him. That's that's what he believes. You know, that's 
That's a fact. And so, um, yeah, like I'm like, cause with Sims, like the thing with me is I, we've seen him use Sims like that Brooklyn game last year. He was like, just started having him trap Kevin Durant and like that helped get the Knicks back into the game and nearly pull out a victory. But like, like I just want, like I see Sims and I'm like, I'm happy that he's now having him show up higher at the level of the screen. Um, but I do think there's more there to, to do. And like, again, to, to credit to Tibbs, like he's had Hartenstein start, start showing higher at the level. So like, and it's, it's funny because Hartenstein, you're like, well, he's not athletic. Like, shouldn't he be better at drop? And it's no, he's actually terrible at drop. And that's part of the reason, like we probably have all fucking hated him at various points this year because he's a sh- really shitty drop defender. Like he'll be good at getting the first contestant, but he's, he can't con- corral the board. He He's not good at, controlling the paint in the way that Mitch is right. So, um, you know, Tibbs does deserve credit that like, I thought yesterday was one of his better tactical game plans probably the entire season. Um, I thought he was really, really good. And even the stuff with, I I thought the way they covered Mitchell throughout the game, like I, I I don't think this was like, yeah, he went what nine of 24, but this wasn't a, yeah, this isn't like a nine of 24 where you're like, man, he, he, he could have easily gone 15 to 24 on another night. Like, I mean, he hit two threes on quickly in the fourth quarter that were fucking bullshit. Like, you're just like, I hate you. Like, this is stupid that you're making this shot. Um, So like, again, like I think Tibbs deserves a lot of credit. I thought he had a great game plan yesterday and they were locked in on it. And uh, he did adjust how the bigs were covering the screens. I just think specifically with Sims, I, I do think there's an opportunity there to like, heat up the ball in a way that you don't have with Mitch or with really with anybody else that can play the five for this team, maybe Randall, but when Randall heats up the ball, he always commits some like absolutely idiotic foul. So I would, I'm, I kind of understand why Tibbs. It is really funny to watch Randall, like in the super lock-in possessions, like, you know, exactly what I'm talking about when he gets really close to the guy with the ball, you know, he's basically trying to make a show of like, look, I'm trying. He always he did it to love yesterday, like thirty always in the it's, hoop, and he like, I appreciate it. the effort, man, but just it's okay. Like you don't have to do that. Um, yeah. And the, to to add to the Tibbs adulation, uh, like we talked about last night, I thought his rotations were mostly good. Obviously, like you, if you just throw out the weird Obi stuff, I thought they were almost as good as they're going to be under the current paradigm. Um, I think you could argue they were right. almost like I mean, you want you on. you want quickly playing more than two shifts in a game. Like he's coming off a thigh injury and his path to playing 27 minutes was playing 16 consecutive minutes in the second half. I'm sorry. That's not, that's not like rotating. That's not like, it's okay to take a bench guy out and then put him back in. I'll never understand why Tibbs doesn't do that. Like, and I always bring up the bucks because the bucks are like, Bud is so good at it. He'll take Giannis out with seven minutes left in the third, in the third quarter, you know, like, and Giannis plays three shifts a half. And he still plays 18 minutes, but it's like three six-minute shifts. Whereas, you know, Tibbs wants Randall playing a 12-minute shift and an eight-minute shift. And it's like, these guys are not going to make it if they keep doing that. But, I mean, I I was trying to praise Tibbs, and I went on a stupid rant. It was, if you look at the final minutes totals, to your point, it's almost as good as it's going to get for this team in this current situation. Um, I'd like to see quickly have a more normal rotation. And I'd obviously like to see Obi closer to 20 minutes, but beggars can't be choosers. 
yeah um you know i want to talk a little bit about brunson who i thought forget yeah he, he had a bad game yesterday i think he's had a little bit of a dip here of the last three four games um starting with that that first game or no, 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 i guess the third game but the the loss they had to toronto where he missed the buzzer beater at the end of overtime um i think he's just had a bad stretch and doesn't feel like he's seeing the floor as well as he was before that though i i guess you could even say that 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 started even before he was just making so many fucking shots that it didn't matter um but like I I'm not I'm not concerned I'm, I'm really not but like I do think one it was good yesterday that he didn't I think as the game went on he would stopped forcing the shot like forcing attempts up which was a good thing but like he has to find a way where like okay you're struggling shooting the ball but there were like the start of the second half especially I was I thought he was. I don't even know how many times he shot, probably not that much, but like, I thought he was terrible in the sense of, okay, even if you were struggling with your offense and you're aware of that, you're still the point guard. You have to understand when like the team isn't getting into good offense and you need to get them into a set and how you can do that. And I just thought he was too content at the start of the second half to like, well, I don't have it going. So, you know, RJ Julius, you guys, it, you guys, it's your time to do it. And the like, don't I, really I have sense. Like, I see. Like, I guess I don't really agree with what you're saying there because, first of all, the the Knicks don't really they, they run more like a, a general set. Like, you know, it's read and react. You know, so it's RJ and the pistol. It's it's somebody with Randall and a screen and roll to get Randall going downhill. But there aren't like different plays really. Like, they're not even running that Spain pick and roll anymore. So. When Brunson, it, it, for Brunson to get the offense going in the way that you're describing, he would basically have to look to shoot more because smart defenses are letting Brunson get into the paint and not helping off the shooters. So, what that offense looks like, what you're describing looks like, is just I think we would be criticizing him for over dribbling and not being self aware. I think if you're aware that you don't have it going and other guys don't have it going and you're in Brunson's shoes and you're in this Knicks offense, pacifism is the only way because. So what I would say to that is like, I don't need him to do. I agree with you that we don't necessarily run some. It's not like there's some awesome system of like cuts and pre-designed actions and split cuts out of the post up. Like, no, we're not doing that shit, but it's, it's as simple as like, okay, I don't have it going. Julius does. Let me run. A, let me just call for a screen from Julius and yep. get him an open three. Because he, like you, you can just do and you that. Know who does like, that? Oh, even all quickly does it all the time. And and yeah, and and so like it's 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 some stuff like that, or it's something as simple as like, okay, RJ is playing like a fucking idiot right now. I'm not going to give him the ball here. Like I, I'm not running a a, a a pistol action for this guy right now, or it's like, hey, I'm struggling, but you know what I can do no matter how much I'm struggling with my shot is I can get into the teeth of the paint and then I can spray the ball out to somebody. And even if that doesn't create the opening, at least it's it's putting some pressure on the defense and, and changing the angle uh, of where things are coming from. So like it the, like I I, I I just think like he he has to 
you're not playing with Luca anymore. Okay. So like, like when you don't have it going, you can't just throw it to Luca and he's going to like, you know, fucking put up 30, 15 and 15 or something. Like you don't have that anymore. So I, I just would like to see in moments like that, even when he's struggling, understanding like I can just, I'm good enough. And these guys are actually good enough that I can just run a pick and pop with Julius or I can like, you know, I can have RJ come off of like a DHO or whatever the hell it is. Like you are capable of helping those guys get going, even if you're amidst your own struggles. So like, that's the stuff that I would like to see more from him. Um, but like, ultimately the guy's a scorer. Like, and I, I, I think people, there are people like really obsess too much. I think over like, I wish and I've done it too. So it's not just everybody else. And I'm some fucking saint, but like there are times where of course you're going to be like, what the hell? He missed a pass to this lob. He should have kicked that out to this guy for three. He should, but like the guy is a scorer. Like that's, that's what he is. That's how he's been geared his entire career. And that's what you like. He needs to score to set up his passing. That's how he operates. If he scores, he's going to, one command more attention from the defense and two that will probably lead him to getting more assists um because i don't think he's naturally intuitive as a playmaker like i think his vision and passing ability is fine but they're more they're not like next level reads or anything he's making he makes very he's really good at making basic reads and i don't mean that as like a insult like that's like how i would describe his passing it has, it's very functional versus creative. Um, and so, like, I think you just have to live with some of these bad stretches he'll have. But at the end of the day, the guy is an efficient three-level scorer. Like, he's going to – he'll be fine. I know right now he's struggling a bit with, like, oh, length. But, like, I mean, yeah, he struggled against Toronto. We've also seen him burn Toronto. Like, you know, like, so he has that ability. And this, is, again, it's his first year as, like, a lead ball handler for – right. That's you know, key. a team as a full-time lead ball handler, like you have to just let him figure that shit out. And I mean, it, it's, it's kind of weird because he's like 26 years old. Right. But like in a lot of ways, the stuff that we say about quick, where it's like, just let him figure it out. Like just, you got to live with some of the stupid shots he's going to take because that's what he has to do to figure out how to be a really good primary ball handler. Same thing applies to Brunson. It's just that he like he's doing this for the first time in his career full time. And so there are gonna be some growing pains within that. And I think right now we're just going through one of those stretches. Yeah. I, I was just gonna add that in. Like it's his first time. That's a great point. I do think that some of the like frustration with Brunson stems from and you made this point earlier today, or maybe it was last night. Um, but it stems from the obscene overreaction to like early like the thank god we have a point guard you know like and like just all that stupid shit that like never applied and was never a thing like we should be thankful we have jalen brunson but just because we have a really good basketball player you know like yeah like he's he's not he's not like fucking michael jordan like he's not like from a profile standpoint he's not close to like chris paul you know like he's never been an organizer he's not an organizer that's not what he's gonna be he's gonna do the best He's actually right. pretty chaotic. Like, he's, he's very around and he's very and, and and what it does is chaotic's a great word because when he's doing the the Steve Nash keep his dribble alive looping through the paint, the way for the offense to keep working is all the ancillary pieces 
have to shift with him. So you kind of see Grimes and Randall like relocating. Randall, by the way, has gotten way, that's just another thing. He's gotten way better. He made a couple of relocations last night that I was really impressed with. I mean, if you remember, you know, even his, the we here season, he basically never moved off the ball. You know, like he, that's just not who Julius Randall was. Um, he had a couple of relocations last night that were really nice. But back to Brunson, he really forces his teammates to sort of adapt on the fly to where he's moving on the court. So chaotic's a really great word. Yeah, he's he's not organizing the offense. And just, you know, the the whole idea that, like, how many wins would we have with, without Jalen Brunson? Like, the Knicks won 37 games last season. Their Pythag, their Pythag wins was 42. And they retained basically most of the roster. Like, where is this idea that like this is just like this would be a lost team without Jalen Brunson? I don't, I don't know where that's coming from. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with it. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's where some of the pushback comes from, and or not even pushback, but just like okay, like everyone's telling me this is this masterful point guard who's like here to save the team. It should look better than this when he's on the court. And I think it's just you have to we we you have to come to the realization one this is who Jalen Brunson is, and two, it's kind of who Tibbs wants him to be. You know, like this is the point guard in a Tibbs offense, and so some of it is on Brunson and his physical limitations, but some of it is just he's doing what his coach is asking of him. Of him, and his coach wants him to get into the paint. He wants him to. That's how he wants to create that scramble. You know, and if there is no scramble if the wings don't dig down and help onto Brunson, his job is to shoot or to keep the dribble alive and reset the offense. So, I mean, yeah, we should, there's nothing to worry about Jalen Brunson. He is one of the most stabilizing and consistent players I've ever seen on a basketball court. His slumps will never be very long. His production is very safe and he's just going to be a very good basketball player for a long time. And I don't know how much more meat there is on the bone, but I all, but I also wouldn't bet against a guy like Brunson who clearly works hard and clearly loves the game of basketball. You know, like I, if there's somewhere, if there, if there's fruit for him to grab, I trust him to grab it and to improve. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally with that. Um, <clears throat> I would also say that um, the one thing I, I that actually bothers me a little bit with I, I feel um, maybe I just wasn't watching close enough. I feel like he's let go of the rope a little bit defensively compared to what I saw of him last year. Um, he's not Kemba, like he's not just a total waste of space out there, but he definitely takes some liberties to, you know, grab a nap off the ball. Let's say. Um, so that's something that I would like to see improve. I know he's carrying a big load and I know he's playing a lot of minutes. So I'm a little bit, it's the same thing with Randall. Like last year was totally unacceptable from Randall, like completely unacceptable defensively and all that stuff. The year before, I mean, I think people forget the year before, like, yeah, we, he was better defensively, but he still had like very, a lot of, you know, stretches where Randall was still doing Randall stuff on defense. Um, but like, you're sympathetic to that when they play at a certain level offensively, Right. And like, this is the thing with RJ where it's like, okay, RJ, I don't, you can actually do all this bullshit you're doing on defense, but then you need to be like a higher level offensive player. And he's not that right now. So it's a, it's with Brunson. It's like, I'm, I'm more sympathetic to it, even though it annoys me at times. Um, 
but obviously when he's having a stretch like he is recently where he's just struggling, it's it's less like easy to brush that under the rug. Um, but before we continue, four NFL teams, two conference championship games, and only a few more shots to win big on the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Not a new customer? You can feel the conference championship thrills with stepped-up same-game parlays. Take your shot at an even bigger NFL payout and boost your winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the conference championships and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Um, no, I want to talk a little bit more about this Brunson thing because I had an interesting little conversation yesterday uh, with, I forget his name. I'm pulling it up right now. I, I, uh, I want to, uh, if you don't mind, I just see. have a comment because you said, you, 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 did, you did say, yep. uh, you said he's not Kemba. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. So, uh, while you were speaking, I looked it up last year, the Knicks, when Kemba was on the court allowed 114.5 points per possession. And when he was off the court, they allowed 108 points per possession. So the Knicks were six and a half points better when Kemba didn't play. Um, this year, when Brunson plays, they're allowing 116.7 points per possession. And when Brunson doesn't play, they're allowing 103.4 points per possession. So a 13 and a half point difference. Now, I agree from an eye test standpoint that like Brunson just like Kemba was basically a sieve and like he drew some charges like Brunson does. But it does seem that like with Brunson's uh, low center of gravity he's less exploitable and like Kemba's knees were shot yada yada but at the same time like Kemba didn't get minutes with the bench because he was pretty much always out of the game and he played a huge percentage of his minutes with Evan Fournier as opposed to Brunson who's playing a huge percentage of his minutes with Quentin Grimes and then all else is equal so where is that gap being created because like Mitch has been healthy for the most part Randall and RJ are the same. Like, what is the difference to you there? Because those numbers on just from a pure rational looking outside looking in standpoint, those numbers don't look good. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.